In today's passage, as a scribe walks up to ask Jesus a question, it almost seems that we should cue the ominous music. Jesus had entered Jerusalem, the seat of religious power, and had been pulled into a series of confrontational interactions with the religious leaders there. They were sparring over religious rules, practices, and beliefs. The Pharisees and Herodians questioned Jesus about paying taxes. The Sadducees questioned Jesus about the resurrection. The established power figures were systematically interrogating this new young arrival to their town, the one with a large following and a challenging message. So as this scribe approached Jesus, it seemed like it might be more of the same. A challenge, a trick, a covert investigation to catch Jesus saying something that could then be distorted and used against him. Tell me, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus takes the bait and answers the question and engages the questioner. Jesus treats this person like someone who is really looking for some guidance, more like someone who is honestly seeking answers, like someone who's facing an ethical dilemma and pondering what should we do in the face of this dilemma. Or someone who is discerning about their future. What should I do with my life? What kind of job or career should I pursue? How might I have an impact for the better? Or someone pondering, what's the meaning of it all? Why are we here? How should we live? Sometimes there is no easy answer when we face these challenging dilemmas and we seek out some kind of a signpost along the way. Jesus' answer to this question of the scribe was both expansive and freeing. In response to the question about the greatest commandment, Jesus weaves together two familiar texts, one from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And also Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so the answer that Jesus gives about the greatest commandment is one simple thing, but with three strands woven together. Love God, love neighbor, love self. The first in this list, of course, is that we should love God. We should turn to the one who first offered us love and life and return a yes to the one who said yes to us in the very beginning. 
Jesus referenced that very familiar passage from Deuteronomy, but perhaps you noticed that he added to the text. Jesus included a way of loving God with our minds, not just with your heart and soul and might, but also with your mind. In Jesus' way of loving God, we are welcome to ask big questions. We are never asked to check our intellect at the door, but we are invited to learn and wonder and grow in understanding. Loving God includes seeing study as prayer, using our minds to engage the divine. And so the greatest commandment first and foremost invites us to turn to the one who out of love brought us life and to offer love in return to God. Love God, love neighbor, love self. When Jesus tells us that we are to love our neighbors, you may have noticed that there are no qualifiers on that term neighbor. In other words, the term neighbor does not just simply apply to people who are similar to us, people who are related to us, people we might consider friends. But neighbors are all those far and near with whom we share this planet, all people created by God. It's a very expansive term. Loving one's neighbor means working for the best interest of others. This is not merely a matter of affection, but a practice of intentional goodwill, which takes its form in tangible actions that make for a better world for all people. We do this when we seek out fair policies, when we respect the voices of all people. On Tuesday, we'll have an opportunity to do this in the voting booth when we carefully consider how we will cast our vote, how we will use our own votes to strive for a more just world. Loving our neighbor is not just a feeling of warm affection. Loving our neighbor means actively seeking justice. Cornell West said it best, justice is what love looks like in public. Love God, Love neighbor, love self. There's one story of a community of people, an organization intentionally committed to loving neighbor that I think is especially fitting for us today and fits with our lectionary text from the book of Ruth and the place we find ourselves at this moment in history. This refugee resettlement organization is named HIAS, and I know many of you are familiar with their work. In the late 1800s, thousands of Jews were fleeing deadly anti-Semitic riots in Russia and Eastern Europe, 
and coming to the United States of America in order to survive. And so at that time, a group of Jews organized from a storefront on the Lower East Side of Manhattan to provide assistance to these Jewish people who were seeking refuge. In 1881, the group took the name Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, therefore HIAS, and organized to provide meals, transportation, and jobs for these new arrivals to the U.S. Over the years, the work of Hyas grew, serving thousands upon thousands of families so that they can now legitimately say that they have touched the lives of nearly every Jewish family in America in one way or another. In the 1950s, Hyas assisted Jews fleeing the Soviet invasion of Hungary, Jews fleeing Cuba's revolution in the 1960s, they assisted Jews who were fleeing from Algeria and Libya. And in the 70s, following the fall of Saigon, the US State Department requested the help of Hyas in resettling Vietnamese, Cambodian, and Laotian refugees. That was not the first time that Hyas assisted refugees who were not of the Jewish tradition, but it was a significant effort on their behalf, assisting 3,600 people to find new homes. In the years following, the work of Hyas has only grown to serve people from many different parts of the world. And there is a phrase that has almost become a motto for Hyas now. We used to help refugees because they were Jews. Now we help because we are Jews. Do you see the significance of that phrasing? We used to help because they were like us in some ways. Now we help because of who we are. We are good neighbors simply because we are commanded to be good neighbors. It's a part of our own nature to be those who extend a hand of assistance to others, no matter where they might come from, what their traditions or beliefs or practices may be. This sounds so similar to Jesus' command to love neighbor. Jesus does not ask us to search out people with whom we share an identity and only then befriend them. He does not include qualifiers of any kind. Jesus says, love your neighbor, no exception. You do this because of who you are. You are a people commanded to love neighbor. And that means all neighbors, all people. Love God, love neighbor, love self. Last but not least, the third phrase in this set. 
was important enough to Jesus to be included here in the greatest commandment, love self. In the same way that we should want the best for others, we should also want the best for ourselves. As we seek the things that make for fair conditions and abundant life for our neighbors, we should also seek the things that make for fair conditions and abundant life for ourselves. Just policies for others, just policies for ourselves, neither elevating our own interests above those of others, nor loving others at the cost of betraying ourselves. We're invited to find the beautiful symmetry of love for ourselves and love for others alike. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, neither asking more nor less of yourself than you would ask of someone else. Sometimes this means taking care of yourself so that you have the ability to extend care to others. There's a joke that's been going around here for so long that I've forgotten who started it, but I might have an idea. But this joke is usually referenced when someone is tending to the needs of others while severely neglecting self. And it's this. Secure your own oxygen mask before assisting others. If, God forbid, you're on an airplane that loses cabin pressure and you faint from lack of oxygen, you will be of no use whatsoever to the person sitting next to you. If you try to love your neighbor, but in some way or another hate yourself, you've missed the invitation. Love God, love neighbor, love self. Jesus not only recommended this, but lived it as well. Finding time for prayer, meditation, sometimes retreating for silence, even sleeping in the midst of a raging storm, Jesus found ways to care for himself. And he wove into his own life the things that would be strengthening and life-affirming for him personally. Love God, love neighbor, love self. In some ways, this seems so simple, but in other ways, so very expansive. If the greatest commandment asked of us was that we offer a certain percentage of the first fruits of our labors, we could calculate the amount needed, give the offering, and then be on our way to do whatever else we wanted to do with the rest of our day or the rest of our lives. If the greatest commandment was that we give a burnt offering of two rams and one young goat, easy. Take care of it, get it done, check off that box, and forget it. 
If all that was needed to fulfill the greatest commandment was that we give an offering of two doves or pigeons, it would be so simple, quantifiable, clear and direct. We might not always want to fulfill a law like that, but we would certainly know how to do it. We could complete the task and forget about it. But the law of love, simple and common sense as it may seem, is so much more expansive. Jesus isn't asking for the completion of a simple task, but rather is asking for our whole lives. Loving God, neighbor, and self is not just a motto, but a compelling way of life in which all that we do and all that we are is turned toward the redeeming ways of this Savior, Teacher, Jesus. If we want a simple task to complete, today's passage is not the place to look. But if we want to engage with heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus stands ready to welcome us in. That scribe who could have engaged in an adversarial debate with Jesus did not, in the end, actually oppose him. He agreed with him. You are right, teacher, he said. And so perhaps his question was genuine, and he was honestly seeking the meaning of it all, ready to fully engage. If we want to engage with our whole lives, loving God, neighbor, and self, Jesus is ready, saying to us as he did to the scribe, you are not far from the realm of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.